um, Philippians, and we'll get to the text in a little while, but um, we, this is our third week of looking at Philippians, and we actually had another week in there because when uh, Chris Martin was here, he preached on Philippians. He's like, God told me to preach on Philippians to your church, and he had no idea we were doing the book of Philippians. And so I think God's trying to tell us something. So I hope we are beginning to understand um, the Apostle Paul a little bit, because that's our goal in here, trying to figure out how Paul um, was walking through these really hard times of being in prison for his faith, and he writes a thank you note. That's what the book of Philippians is. It's a thank you note to the church in Philippi. They'd been supported, ministry partners with them, and now they're supporting him financially so that he can even live in jail because back then they didn't feed you in jail. People had to supply for you, and they're the only ones who are supplying for him. And so he's writing them a thank you note saying thank you. And what we're wanting to understand better about from this book from Philippians is how in the world could Paul write this letter? This letter doesn't make any sense. How could he write this thank you letter from jail where he's chained to a Roman guard and he's constantly through the whole thing talking about how joyful he is and how he's hoping that the Philippians will be filled with joy. And here's my goal, my number one goal for the whole book of Philippians, for the, for the 10 weeks or whatever we're going to spend on Philippians, is that we catch Paul's attitude. That what Paul has, we catch. It's, you know what, very selfishly, it's what I want just for me. If none of you hear me, it's what I want for me, and I hope it's also for you, though, that I want Paul to rub off on me. I want Paul to rub off on you. Um, Now, we've said it a minute ago, but maybe you've kind of noticed that there's a lot of stuff going on in our world right now, a lot of conflict, a lot of uncertainty going around. A lot of people are anything but joyful, and I believe this. I believe this is God's heart for us. We can be different. I honestly believe that. The church world has made, for about 25 years ago, the church world made a, a decision, and not everybody, but as a, as a whole, we kind of move the Western world, Western church world, we kind of move in, 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 in waves. And we made a wave that said, let's just kind of be like, like the world in order to reach the world. And what we found is it didn't work. And what we didn't hear about a lot in the last 25 years is we ought to be different. We ought to be countercultural. And what I'm hoping we find in Philippians is we can be different. We can learn from the Apostle Paul. We can be joy-filled in any and all situations. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit of God abiding within us, and he transcends any circumstance, no matter how difficult it is. He gives wisdom for any circumstance. And we find, we're finding from Paul that joy, the thing we're talking about here, comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not stopped by coronavirus. The Holy Spirit's not stopped by, by mask mandates. That we can have, um, we can be different because we have the Holy Spirit. And when all of us, all of us to experience the joy that is available to us as followers in, of Christ. So now in this section we're going to read today, um, we're going to find a really important concept that Paul lives by and I think it's a foundational idea on how he could live a joyful life. And what I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to say it in advance, it's counterintuitive. It goes against what we might think leads to joy. See, I think generally we honestly really believe that joy and happiness, and I know they're different, but we, they're kind of similar in the fact that they're both feelings and, and, and views of life, um, and experiences that joy and happiness, for sure, we, 
we believe, even though we don't say it out loud, are really tied to self-fulfillment and self-indulgence. That if I just, if I just have that one thing, if you look at Facebook, and we all do, I don't know what percentage, but what, what gigantic percentage is just people showing the latest thing they got? Oh my goodness, we just bought a new this, or we just got a new that. And there's nothing wrong with getting stuff, but people believe that joy and happiness are tied to having this certain thing. Or that if I get more of that, I'll be happy or joyful. Or if I achieve a certain position, or I accomplish whatever is, is lofty in my mind, then I'll sim- we think this, I will somehow find joy. I'll discover it. I'll find it. If I just get that, I'll find it. The problem is, it doesn't work. It's never worked. It can't work. We get that one thing that we think will find us, make us happy and joyful, um, or we accomplish that, that, that achievement, and we still feel empty, and we feel unfulfilled. So what do we do as people? We look for what's the next thing. And you know how I can see this is true? Go to a lot of our garages. Go to your garage. And look at all the gadgets, toys, and things we have. How, how many times we can't park our cars in our garage? Because there's so many things we had to have that if we just got, we'd be happy. And we got it, we look at it, and we say, I haven't used that thing in six years. But we believe that the time, if I just got that thing, that latest whatever, I would be happy. I'd be joy-filled. Um, we get the stuff, but we still feel empty. And I'm not, I'm not again, I'm not against stuff. God, I don't think it's against stuff. You know, I've got a nice boat, and I love my boat. But you know what? It doesn't really bring me any joy. It really doesn't. Um, and if I believed it would, which at one time I probably believed a little bit that I just had a, finally, Suzanne, finally had a nice boat. We'd sit on the break wall week after week, day after day, and I'd watch those boats go out in the harbor. I'd have a boat that was big enough to go out in the lake, and I'd go, if I just had a boat, I could go out there. And then I started going out to Lake Michigan. What did I find out? I don't like fishing in Lake Michigan. It's really not fun. There's like no trees, and you're just two miles out, and it's kind of boring, you know? If you believe you would be happy because you got a boat, well, that's one more thing, just to, you got to move in order to get your lawnmower out, right? We believe this idea that if we get more stuff, we'll be happy, more accomplishments, more whatever. If I just had the right house, if I just had the, the, the right piece of property, if I just had, you know, if it's a house, I'm living in a city, i got to live in a country, you know, whatever, and we think we'll find joy, but it doesn't happen. And you know, I want to tell you something. The Apostle Paul understood this. It's one of the things he's trying to teach us. In this verse we're going to, that we're going to read, he reveals that his joy is rooted in something that is bigger than himself. His joy is rooted in something more important than any temporary thing that could ever be attained or achieved. So as I read the text, this is what I want you to do. I want you to listen for what Paul ties his joy to. He's going to say it two times in the text, but you've got to pay attention. What does Paul root his joy to? What does he say? And this is the reason why I'm joyful. So the first chapter of Philippians, we're going to read verses 12 through 18. And I'll give you a hint. The answer's in the first verse and the last verse. Is that good teaching method? I'm not sure. I gave you the answers before you had to try. Verse 12. 
Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard, which is the, the governor's palace guard, and to everyone else. Verse 14 that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So, did you see what Paul tied his joy to? He starts it off and he ends it with this. He ties it to, he says, Christ, verse 18, Christ being proclaimed. And the first verse, he says, I'm, I'm, he doesn't say it, but it's, it's from the context. He ties it to the progress of the gospel. In other words, telling people about Christ. In this whole section, Paul is writing about the progress of the gospel. In other words, he is writing about how the message of the gospel is advancing. This message that Jesus is the true king and that he is alive and well, ruling over his kingdom. He's risen from the dead and that anyone can find forgiveness and eternal life by coming to King Jesus and being welcomed into his kingdom, by being welcomed into his family. And this gospel message that Paul proclaimed and in this section um, that Paul is writing about here, he's saying this gospel message is being advanced. And Paul ties the advancement of the gospel to his joy. Look at verse 18. Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Now listen, this is a lot more significant than it might seem like at first glance. Paul is rooting his his spiritual and his emotional condition to something that that is bigger than himself. He's saying, I'm going to tie my joy to something bigger than himself, but it's not just anything that is bigger than himself. And this is really important here. See, a lot of people try to tie their joy or at least their happiness to something that is bigger than themselves. So think of the person that ties their joy to the Packers or the Brewers or the Bucks or, heaven forbid, the Vikings or the Bears. Heaven forbid, but they do. And the team um, and what it represents is absolutely bigger than the individual. There's more, the, the, the Packers or any team, the Bears, are more than just a group of guys playing football. They really represent something and, and embody something bigger. And for some people, it honestly becomes um, like a religion, following it, worshiping it, um, idolizing it. And it's a very big deal. And they tie their, their happiness or their joy to a, to, a, to a sports team or something. And what happens then when that team has a losing season? No one wants to be around them. They're miserable. They're joyless. I knew a pastor in another town who um, was a big softball player. And, and we, I was a, our, team, our church had a softball team, their church had a softball team. And if their team lost, and all teams lose, by the way, our church softball team is rocking this year and is doing awesome. 
Um, so we're like the COVID kings or something this year. We're doing well. Um, but this guy, if their team lost, literally was miserable. And Suzanne knew his wife, and his wife's like, he's unbearable. You can't even live with him if their team lost. Because his joy was tied. It was something bigger than himself, the team, but it was tied to something that, that couldn't give him joy. So they tie their joy to something bigger than themselves, but it's the wrong thing to tie your joy to. And this is why. It's not that, not that being happy about your team winning is a bad thing. It's not. I hope the Packers win if they ever play, right? The reason it doesn't work is it's tied to something that's unstable. It's temporary. And Jesus, I think, would use this term, it's shifting sand. It's like building your house upon shifting sand. They're tying their joy to something that's temporary and unstable. But what's the Apostle Paul do here? And, and if, you don't, if you didn't spend some time going through the text and going, wow, that's what he's really saying, you might miss it. Paul is tying his joy to something that's eternal and guaranteed. And Christians, you need to understand this here. What Paul ties his joy to, I'll explain in a second, is guaranteed. Nothing in this world is really guaranteed. They always say death and taxes. Well, this is guaranteed what Paul ties his joy to. Because think about this. Remember, Jesus said, and Paul knew the teachings of Jesus, Jesus said about the gospel in Matthew 24, he said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. And Jesus knew who Jesus was, that he was God himself come into our world to reveal more fully who God is and then to give his life for mankind. And Paul knew that he could trust in what Jesus said because Jesus' promises are guaranteed. So Paul knew that the gospel message would continue to be preached, that the gospel message would continue to advance because Jesus said so. So he ties his joy to what is guaranteed, to the promises of Jesus, to the advancement of the kingdom of God and King Jesus. And friends, that's why during this COVID time, I'm not worried about the future of the church. This is, the gospel's going to go forward. How the church looks may completely change. We may not meet in buildings. I have no idea. But the message of the kingdom is going to continue to go forward. The kingdom of God is going to continue to advance. How do I know? Because Jesus said so. You want to you bank on anything? Bank on what Jesus said, and Paul knew that. He has, given, he has given everything of his life, Paul, to partner with the activity of the kingdom and the advance in the gospel because he knew Jesus said it's going to advance. So when things go wrong, not according to, to Paul's plan, um, how he thought they would turn, he never thought he was going to land in jail. His joy's not shaken. Why? Because he knows what he is investing his life energy into is still going to progress and go forward. It's just going to progress differently than he expected. Now he says in his text, he's ministering to the guards and the other prisoners because he's used to preaching in, in going to town and town and preaching, but he can't do that. But now he's preaching to the people there. He's, he's saying this, listen, the gospel can't be chained. The gospel can't be stopped. His joy is tied to what's guaranteed. And he understands what's guaranteed is the progress of the gospel. You know, and I think this should cause each of us to stop and take an inventory of our lives. Can we honestly say, can I honestly say that I have rooted my joy 
in the progress of the gospel. And again, for me, I'm not saying in the progress of, of Portview Church. You know, some government could come in tomorrow and make it illegal to meet in a church. I don't know, doing it all over the world right now. But you know what? I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the advancement of the kingdom of God, the gospel being preached. Can we honestly say we do that? That can we understand that now that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, that we get to engage in kingdom activity, do we understand we're part of that? We are part of the progress of the gospel. You know, the other day, I met with a Christian businessman who gets this. It was clear as we were talking. He runs a very successful business. It's taken him a lifetime to build. It requires an incredible amount of time and emotional energy and, and wisdom and, and money. It's, 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 it's a challenge, and it's, it's been very, he's done a great job. And as we talked about his business, he shared about all the ways he uses his business as a platform for advancing the kingdom of God. How from the business he talked about and how he talked about to his employees and, his, and the other people think how they can fund many Christian ministries that advance the gospel. How at the business, how he and his staff mentor people in Christian living. And how through the business, he gives the opportunities for families to not only make an income, but also how his family models Christian family values to the other families that are part of the business. He talked about how at the business, how they offer spiritual guidance to people. How they often pray together. How they learn God's word together. All these things that have nothing to do with the widgets that they make. But all those things are part of their business. It was clear that this businessman saw his business as an avenue for the progress of the gospel. The business is just part of something much bigger, the kingdom of God. And then what happens when things go sideways? Like they're going sideways right now for that business and other businesses. All of a sudden, coronavirus hits, you're booming one day, and you're stopped dead in your tracks the next. The coronavirus hits, recession happens. What happens? Well, joy can still be found. Why? Because it's rooted in the kingdom not in the business. He can still do kingdom's businessman in his company, no matter what the company looks like in the end, can still do business kingdom activity because a kingdom activity is not stopped. They're just going to do it differently. That's what Paul is revealing here. The importance of rooting our lives, how we run our business, how we approach our families, the activities we do, how do we root our lives in the eternal rather than the temporary? Because if you haven't learned this yet, you're going to learn this at some point if you live long enough. And it's this, the temporary always goes sideways. It always goes sideways. Things that are temporary, that are earthly, always go sideways at some time. The way you don't plan from the go, they crash and they burn at some point. And if that's where you put your hope, if that's where you're building your life on, then one day you will be greatly disappointed and you will find yourself joyless. But see, Paul's, you know, he, he, he puts this thing in something eternal. And he's not just saying this from theory. No, he's saying this out of all of the difficulties and the challenges that any person could ever, could ever experience. You know, he was, before he was in prison, he was, had given his life to traveling the, the, the then-known world, starting churches, but now he finds himself stuck in prison, and one would think he would, that would rob him of his joy. He can't do what he felt called to do, but no. Why? Because he knows God's work is much bigger than him, and the gospel is progressing, so he rejoices in that. It's just not progressing the way he thought it would be through him, but he sees it still progressing. 
And look at the challenges in addition to the fact that he's in prison that he had to face at this time. Apparently, according to the text, there were other Christians that were jealous of Paul, so they were trying to make his life difficult. Look at verses 15 to 17. This Paul talking about, hey, guys, be joyful. And this is what he says. And some, he's talking about some other Christians, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, but the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking that cause me distress in my imprisonment. Can you imagine? He, he comes to that conclusion. They're trying to harm me in my imprisonment. These are so-called brothers or sisters in Christ. And it says because of their selfish ambition, they're wanting to make maybe a name for themselves or be seen as more influential or successful than Paul. It says they're causing him distress in his imprisonment. And think about it. Paul, you know, had it bad enough and, and he's in prison simply for trying to help people find real life in Jesus, but also now his so-called Christian brothers out of envy and selfish ambition want to cause Paul more problems um, so they can ruin him and they can advance. Now, you say, well, that was horrible. Well, it sounds kind of like a lot of businesses today. It sounds kind of like what I see in the church world today push others down in order to rise yourself up. Success at others' expense. Now, wouldn't you think this would destroy Paul's joy? He's going, you know, what's the point? They locked me in prison for trying to do what's good. The guys who are on my team are trying to destroy me because they're jealous of me and their ambition. They want to rise up, and for them to rise up, they got to push me down. When he say, you know what? What's the point? Wouldn't you think it would destroy his joy? It doesn't. Why? Verse 18. What then? He said, what? He says, what then? He said, listen. He said, look, look how bad it is. He says, all this stuff, this is like, they're, they're really coming against me. I'm in jail and they want to destroy me. My own people want to destroy me. What then? Only that. In every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. Paul saw that even if he was personally imprisoned and mistreated, things didn't go the way he thought for what he thought was his blessing, still the gospel was advancing. And the thing he rooted his joy in was still solid. It was still advancing, so his joy was not shaken. Do you get what Paul does here? He ties his joy to what's guaranteed, the advancement of the gospel. Therefore, no matter what happens to him, the thing he values the most is secure, so he rejoices in that. And I think this is the most relevant thing we could do and think about right now. A lot of the things that we have trusted in and tied our happiness or our joy to are being shaken right now. The America as we know it is being shaken. We got an election coming up. Um, now, one election is not going to change everything. I think elections are more revealing than changing. They reveal where we're at. But you know what? There could be some real changes. America, we know it. Whether the outcome of the election is being shaken. The businesses that have always been solid are being shaken. Some of you 
have lost your jobs because your companies have filed Chapter 11 or Chapter 13. Some of you in this very room have lost your job. You're working at a company. I was with my brother this week. He's been at the he's, he's a year younger than me. He's 55. He's been at the same company since he's 17. About five years ago, he was saying, I just hope this company stays around until my son graduates. Then a little while, little while after, he's saying, I just hope this company stays around until my house is paid for. And I was, you know, I was saying, I just hope this company stays around. I can somehow keep working because you know, I'm 55, and, and what else would I do? A lot of people are dealing with this kind of stuff in this world right now. The, the businesses, that solid business, have been around for a long time. They had thousands of employees one time. It's being shaken. Friendships that were once very close are being shaken. They're being fractured because of different views on stuff. Political issues, corona issues, you wear a mask, you don't wear a mask, you know. You don't wear a mask, you're the devil. You wear a mask, you're the devil. You know, you, this party, you're, you believe in that party's right, you're the devil. You believe in that party's right, you're a devil. And long-term relationships, long-term family relationships are being split. Things are being shaken. But all of these things are temporary and unstable. But as Christians, we have something stable to anchor our lives in. The eternal kingdom of God. A phrase that a lot of I learned years ago and a lot of us have learned because I've said it so many times, especially in our Wednesday night classes, from James Bryant Smith. What is it? I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights and I live in the stable and unshakable kingdom of God. If you're feeling shaken in your life, can I give you some advice? Every morning, write that statement down. Every morning when you wake up, it's the first thing that comes out of your mouth. It's the first thought you choose to think on. You get to choose what you think of. And you say this to yourself or you say it out loud. I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I live in the stable and unshakable kingdom of God because that's truth. So as things around us are being shaken... It's time to tie our lives to what is stable and unshakable. Resting in Jesus like Mary at the feet of Jesus. Resting in Jesus and sharing the truth about his loving kingdom with the people around him. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Hey, lock me in jail, lock chain me to a guard. Guess what? I got a new congregation. And he ain't going anywhere. Paul just adapted he said, all this is shaking. All this is unstable. He understood the whole world is unstable, except for the kingdom of God. And he was invested in the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's how Paul found joy in, in the midst of terribly difficult circumstances. So what I hope we can all do this week is we take some time to be honest with ourselves and we ask ourselves the question, what is my joy rooted in? Is it rooted in achievement? Is it rooted in the success of my business? Is it rooted in finding pleasure? Is it rooted in certain things? Is it rooted in certain people? And if, if you say yes to any of those, and I do at times, we all do, but I've got to be reminded, those things are shakable. They're unstable. But as citizens of heaven, we can join in kingdom activity we can look for God, how, how God wants to minister through us to our confused and hurting world. And we can love our world instead of cursing and fighting against it. Life's going on everywhere around us today. You have an eternal purpose in God's eternal plan. And you, every one of us, can rejoice in that. Amen? Let's pray together.
Lord, we need your help. We always need your help. But Lord, times like this in our nation, in our world, um, shake everything up and cause us to realize we were never in control in the first place. We've always needed your help, even when we didn't understand that we did. But now it seems like what's happening is we are understanding that we need your help. And this is what I ask that you would help us specifically to see today. Help us to see what you are doing around us so that we can join in your activity. What we know, Lord, is that you are always ministering. Uh, coronavirus and elections and all that stuff, you, you're beyond it all. You use it, but you're beyond it. And Lord, your business is about establishing your kingdom and bringing people into transformation as they come to know you as Savior and Lord. And Lord, we would ask that you would help us to have eyes to see what you're doing around us. Lord, help us stop looking at the waves of the storm and to look into your face and have ears to hear what you have to say and eyes to see what you're doing in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our state, in our nation, in our world. Help us to see your activity. What part of that you want to show us so that, Lord, we could have an invitation from you to join in what you're doing. Because we know that as we get become more actively engaged in what you're doing, you'll fill our hearts with joy as we proclaim the good news of your love. Because that's what Paul did. We see it, we see how it worked for in his life. And Lord, I would ask this right now for every one of us is sitting in the quietness of this moment. Every one of us is completely different, we know. Every one of us has completely different connections with people, and that's by design. And I'd ask right now, Holy Spirit, would you bring to every one of us a face of a person, a name of a person, a relationship, some way show us where you're working and where you're inviting us to get involved. Maybe show us a need that someone has and we can meet the need. Show us in our mind right now, Holy Spirit, bring to our mind somebody's name that maybe we've not thought about in a long time. That maybe you want us to give a call Holy Spirit, we don't want to work something up. I don't want to force something, but Holy Spirit, you've invited us into your activity, and and I'm just asking, would you help us to, instead of just strategizing, to just listen to your voice? So bring a name to us. Put a face in our mind. Where are you inviting us to get involved?
to our hearts to start a ministry or something that would help people come to know you, show people your love and your grace. Birth those things in our hearts right now. just sitting in the quietness of the Lord our heads are bowed our eyes are closed maybe you're here today and you've never yet met Jesus as your Savior and your Lord you've never yet understood that he is the king of the kingdom we've been talking about it today and and you're saying he's inviting us into his kingdom yes Jesus is God he's come into this world to show us who God is. As we look at Jesus, we see God um, in human form. But then he gave his life for us. He died. He went to a cross. And he said, you know what? All of humanity is guilty of sin. And they're all guilty, but I will pay the price for their sin. And he gave his life, his price. He died but death could not hold him. He rose from the grave and he's alive to death right now. He's alive and he's here by his spirit right now and he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And maybe you're here right now and you're saying, I've never come into relationship with Jesus. But something inside of you is saying, this is for you. Something inside of you, because I've not tried to twist your arm at all. Something inside of you is saying, this is for me today. I need Jesus. I want to give you a chance to say yes to that. So our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But if you say, you know what, Pastor Mark? Today is the day that I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to have you take an action to say yes to Jesus. That's what I want you to do. If you say yes, I want to ask Christ into my life. I want you, everybody's bowed, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want you to look up. I want you to look me right in the eye. I'm going to start over on my left, on this side over here. I want you to look me right in the eye. I'm going to take a minute looking at my left, your right, this section, now the center section. Okay? And then off to my right, your left, this whole section. Look me right in the eye. Make sure I'm looking. You say, look right at me. I'm going to invite you all to pray with me because people acknowledge this morning saying, you know what, I want to say yes to Jesus. We're going to do this. We're all going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magic about the words. All we're going to do is we're going to invite Jesus to come into your life. And we're all going to pray it together because all of us, most all of us in this room have said yes to Jesus. If you're saying today's the day, I want to say yes. I want you to pray with us. This is you talking to God. And so let's out loud pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm lost and I'm really helpless. And I know that. So today, I look to you. I ask you, Lord, come into my life. Completely transform me. Take away all the junk Take away all the sin. Take away all the guilt. And now fill me with forgiveness and your love and your grace. So today, Lord, I give 
my life to you. And I invite you to lead me through this life. Help me, Lord. Fill me with your presence so that I can live with you. Amen. If you did that today, what what you've done is you've taken the first step in a journey. Maybe it's a step back into a journey. To saying, you know what? He is Lord, and I'm going to follow Him. And as you've taken that step today, here's what I can offer to you. Number one, Jesus is real and He loves you. Number two, ways a church are here for you. If there's any way we can help, we are here. We are here to help you grow. I encourage you to, to get into our classes. A little different world right now. We don't have all the contact that we'd normally have, but get into our classes as they're starting. Rub shoulders with other people. Tell, learn as much as you can. We'll help you to learn here as a church. You can contact me and we'll, we'll help you grow. Um, and I'm going to invite you to do one thing. Before you go to sleep tonight, before you go to bed tonight, I want you to tell somebody that you know that is a follower of Jesus that, you know what, today I gave my life to Christ. It can be a relative, it can be a friend, it can be a mom or a dad, it can be, it can be anybody, it can be me. And the reason that is, it's kind of cements it in and what you're doing is you're giving that other person permission to say, hey, let's walk on this journey together. Make sense? Let's stand together. I just want to pray a blessing over you as we depart today from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful day in Christ. If you would like prayer today, um, I will be available here to pray with you. Um, Otherwise, slow or quietly make your way out of the sanctuary as people are praying. Some people just want to sit around for a while and kind of think, who's God laying on my heart? When you feel dismissed, make your way out of the sanctuary and have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.